We are over in Galatians chapter 4, verse 11. We've been looking in the, the study here as Paul has been comparing being in the flesh, being in the spirit. The flesh brings bondage. The law brings bondage. When we're under the, the, the law, we're under the flesh. We're being bound to the flesh. The law brings bondage to idols. It brings bondage to flesh. It brings bondage to self-righteousness, many other things. But these are things that the law will, will do for us. But we're supposed to be brought under the Spirit. Under the Spirit, we have freedom from the flesh. Glory Amen. to God. We have freedom from the law. And we have freedom to worship God. It doesn't mean that the law, we just disregard it. It means I don't need to attain to the law in order to become spiritual or to become saved. Remember, Paul was dealing with both of those things. The people who come through and to teach the folks that you got saved through the law. And then there were those who said, all right, we can't win them out over that, so let's bring them on this. You get perfected through the law. And that's why he was, what he was dealing with here. But in chapter 11, or chapter 4, verse 11, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. You ever had that? Put a whole lot of time into some people? Then they wandered off and they went into another direction, not following after God, not following after the things that you labored to bring them into. This is what Paul is feeling like. I put all that into you. It was with a great sacrifice that I made it over there to you guys. And um, you're, just, you're just forsaking it. You're letting it go. He said, I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. He's not frustrated that he labored for them in vain. He's afraid for them. Because if they leave the gospel of grace and go to the gospel of law, they're lost. Even though they know God. Even though they're showing up in church. They're lost. You don't make it. So he's afraid for them because he knows where that will, will take them. How many people are in church in this country, show up to church on a regular basis, and approach God on the law? And you just ask them. You ask the Christians and say, you know, do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I never did anything real bad. That's the law. Getting saved by the law. Can't do it. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Brethren, I urge you to become like me, for I became like you. Another way to look at this is, uh, look, when I came to you, I saw things from your perspective. I need you right now to look, look at things from mine. You need, to, you need to get out of the place where you're looking at this, and you need to look at it from my perspective. I need you to do that. I did it for you guys. You need to do it for me. That's the way that uh, Williams will translate it, if you have one of those to look at. You have not injured me at all. When you guys, if you guys leave the gospel, I don't get hurt. It doesn't affect me. You're not taking me down with you. I'm not losing anything at all. It, it doesn't hurt me, but it hurts you. It hurts you greatly. Sometimes we ought to keep that in mind. When we have people that we've labored for and we've, we've uh, pushed for, we've tried to, to get into the kingdom of God or tried to keep them in the way of becoming perfected through faith and through, uh, through the Spirit, and they wander away, sometimes we can take it personally. We can get hurt. Don't. They're not hurting you. You're still going to heaven. You still got rewards in heaven. You still got things that are going on up there. You did what God told you to do. If they want to leave it and they want to forsake it, all right. I mean, do the best you can to keep them out. But don't take it personally. Don't get personally hurt. So Paul here is saying, you're not hurting me. You haven't injured me. He says, you know that because of the physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. In my trial, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. Well, there was a trial that he went through, and best we can tell on this one, 
is at the, the stoning at Lystra. And he had gone from there and he went into the region of Galatia. And so he's, you know, you get stoned, you're going to be pretty banged up. They said they left him for dead. They thought he was dead and probably was and was risen back up to life. But of course, when you stone somebody, you throw stones at their feet, legs, body, head. You aim for the head. That's for you. You're trying to kill them. You're not trying to hurt them. You're trying to kill them. So if you do that, then his head's probably got pretty banged up. That's what most people would, would see when they come in there. In my trial, which is in my flesh, you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, of course, many have supposed from this that he had an eye disease. And uh, that's just supposition. That's a guess on their part. As Brother Hagin used to always teach us, uh, a theory is a supposition based on ignorance of the topic at hand. That's really what it is. So we become ignorant as we don't know. They, they, they pretend to be ignorant of what Paul's thorn in the flesh was and try and make it this. What Paul says in the very passage where he talks about it, what it is, and we've all been over that before. But he says, you would have given your own eyes. They, they loved him that much. Maybe his eyes were damaged from the uh, stoning. Uh, maybe he's you know, just, just bloody. Maybe, maybe he wasn't seeing quite as clearly because of some of the injuries that were there. But he healed up. Whatever it was, they, it says that they would give his own, their own eyes for him. That's how much they loved him. That's how much they cared for him. It could just be a figure of speech too. You know, I cut off my arm for you. <laughs> well, not really, but <laughs> it's a figure of speech. It could just be a thing like that as, as well. But whatever way it is, it didn't mean he had disease in his eye. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? There was a blessing that they enjoyed when Paul came and ministered the gospel to them. And he said, there was something that you enjoyed when I came to you. So much so that you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? All of a sudden now, you were, I was that close to you, I was that important to you, and now I'm your enemy? Why? He's going to go on and talk about this. But anyway, Paul's trial. We have victory in trials. How many of you all know we're called to have victory in trials? Trials may come, but we're called to have victory in them. Paul's trial here was either the stoning at Lystra in Acts chapter 14 or it was some temporary sickness that he had or, or in injury or infirmity, something, but it was temporary and he got over it. I put this in your outline for you. God does not make trials. He makes triumphs. God does not make trials. He makes triumphs. Sometimes we think that the trying of our faith that comes is from God. God does not make trials. We encounter trials. But God makes a way for us to succeed. He makes triumphs. Don't look at your trials as God ordained or God sent. God does not send any trial, even if good comes out of it. He does not send it. He warns us that it will come. And Paul's going to do that here as well. He's going to warn them that trials will come. But God does not send them. Would you send trials on your kids? God loves us more than we love our own kids. Verse 17, they zealously court you, but for no good. Well, we can all relate to that. How many people do things with great zeal, but it's for no good at all? We said that constantly in the news and places where they report people being very (laughs) zealous for a cause, very zealous for the thing they want to do, but there's no good, nothing good for it at all. 
but for no good. Yes, they want to exclude you that you may be zealous for them. They want to separate you from everything else. They want to exclude you from all these other things that you have become zealous for them. But it is good to be zealous in a good thing always and not only when I am present with you. Zeal is good. It is good to have zeal, but make sure that you are zealous for something that is good. Paul was zealous before he became a Christian. He was very zealous to persecute Christians, to kill them, to bring them to trial, to separate families, to uh, not only persecute the men, but the women and the children. He went after them all, he would say. He was very zealous in what he did. But it wasn't good. He wasn't zealous in a good thing. So he knows what it is to be zealous for a bad thing. The Pharisees were zealous for bad things. The Sadducees, they were zealous for bad things. These are not things that were everlasting. They were things that were bad. Just because you have zeal does not mean you're on the good side. And that's what he's talking about here. I put this in your outline for you. Uh, and this is the, I didn't give you the, the, the two other ones, huh? <laughs> Sorry about that. We started off with the prohibition, prohibition, which is really just a review of the, the things that he had gone through in the area. People want to cause us to be prohibited from doing things. A law prohibits you from doing things. We need to get out of that. Here we get into the formulation. The formulation. I put this in your outline for you. Divine revelation will produce zeal. If you get divine revelation, how many of y'all know that gets you excited? You get divine revelation on the, on the scripture. You get divine revelation on what you're supposed to be doing. You get that divine revelation, you can get zealous for the thing real quick. Divine revelation will produce zeal, but zeal will not produce divine revelation. That comes from the Spirit. Just because a person is zealous does not mean they have divine revelation. You need to check it out. I mean, you all know that there's a whole lot of places out there that people are very zealous for you to invest your money. Just because they are zealous for you to invest your money does not mean that you should. You need to check it out. Being free is having the right to discover truth for yourself. Being free is having the right to discover truth for yourself, not having someone else lay it out for you. That's not freedom. You think back to some of the regimes that have been in the times past with the, the Russians and the, the Germans and the uh, different empires that came in before, before that. The Romans, certainly they did it as well. There was, there was not a discovery of truth. There was, this is the truth you will believe. And they indoctrinated them into that. Certainly saw that very strong under the, under the Germans, but the Russians did it as well. You, you will believe this way. The emperor is... God, the emperor is divine. The emperor is all-powerful. And they would, they would do this to you. China did it to, to their people. But freedom is the right to discover truth. God gives you freedom. He wants you to discover truth. He is not going to force you into it. So people that are out there that are trying to force you into a truth, you know what father they're of. Because Jesus said you have one father or the other. You are the father of God. Or of your father, the devil. You're one or the other. Father God leads you in a way to discover truth. Anything else is of the other father. Anything else. So as soon as you see a group of people, as soon as you see a cause, and they are trying to inflict this upon you, you will see it this way. And they are wrong. They are of the wrong, wrong spirit. If it comes from that spirit, it is designed to come against the things of God. 
Isn't that what the devil does? He does it to come against the things of God. People that are of the truth present it to you and let you discover it from there. People that are of the falsehood, this is the truth, and if you don't believe it, you will die. Remember way back in, the, in history when you know, science was getting going on some things? Galileo had some uh, ideas of science. And he was told, get in line or die. Isaac Newton, his writings, he was told by the church, you will either get in line or we will kill you. And so he had to renounce his, his findings. And others, other great discoverers had to do the same thing. There was great pressure. for that. That's the wrong spirit. As soon as you see that, you don't have to wonder about the truth that they're, they're talking about. You don't, have, you don't have to even check it out. If, you, if they wish to force it upon you, it's wrong. It's not it. They're zealous. These folks are zealous. There's a lot of zeal, but they want to exclude you from all other things. Don't, don't get around that Paul. That Paul, he's, he's not teaching right stuff. No, no, no. You need to get around us. We're the only ones that have the right stuff for you. And they're going to bring them into a wrong gospel is what Paul's saying. And we face the same thing here today, folks. Just because they're in the church, just because they go by the name of God, Christian, does not mean they are bringing to you any kind of a truth at all. Just because they're zealous about it does not mean there's any kind of truth. They may be so zealous, they're in church every Sunday, they're in church every Wednesday, they're in church on Friday, they're in church on Saturday, they're in church on Monday. It doesn't matter how often they're in church. It doesn't matter how much they carry their Bible. It doesn't matter how much they read their Bible. If they zealously push you to believe something that they have, they are wrong. Look at just the, the teaching of the gifts of the Spirit. The people who see that in the Bible, the ones I'm familiar with anyway, they see that in the Bible. The gifts of the Spirit are real. They're for today. They'll present it out there. This is what we believe. And some people will say, I don't believe that. Well, that's fine. And they just go on. You believe what you want then. I like living in the gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are good. This is better than, than not. But the people who want to go the other direction, now the gifts of the Spirit are dead. They're not for today anymore. What do they do, the people who do believe in the gifts of the Spirit? Isolate them. Brand them as heretics. Say all manner of evil about them. Get people to believe wrong things about them. That's the same spirit that, that Paul is facing here with these, with these people trying to bring the Galatians over. So how should you deal with them? Same way Paul dealt with them. Sternly. Expose it. Because truth is to be discovered, not forced upon. He says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Can you imagine laboring again? I mean, we guys, we don't picture this at all, but... We can kind of get in a little bit of an idea anyway what's, what's going on there. But he says, for whom I labor in birth again. Could you imagine a mom laying in a hospital having just given birth to a baby, maybe 15 hours of labor or something like that? And then after it's all done, the doctor comes back a week later and says, you've got to do this again. That's, it's not going to happen. But Paul's saying, I'm willing to do it again. I am willing to go through this again. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed you. He says, I'll stay with this. I'll go through the labor pains again until Christ is formed in you because he wants Christ to be formed in him. Amen. That's what his desire is. I would like to be present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. <laughs> you can't really change your tone when you're writing a letter. Because when you start the letter, you're the same frame of mind of the people that you're writing the letter to as when you end the letter. 
when you are face to face with somebody, there are facial expressions, there's feedback, and you can say, all right, we're, they're getting it or they're not getting it. Right now, Paul has to start the letter and end, end the letter as if they're not getting it. So he says, I would like to be present with you and to be able to talk this, this through with you, but uh, I can't. I got doubts about you. I got doubts about you. And uh, we're not really getting to a place where we're able to overcome this. But go back over to verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor and birth again until Christ is formed in you. The word there, formed, is actually in the Greek passive voice, meaning we must yield to Christ for him to shine through. It's a passive use of it. It's something that I have to yield to Christ in order for this to, in order for Christ to be formed in me, I have to yield to him. Not to the law, but yield to him. Not to these people that are zealous, but to him. Until you learn how to yield to God, this image will not be formed. Paul says, I'm going to do everything that I can to get you in a place where you will yield to him. That's what his, his goal here is. We want Christ to be formed in people. We want that image of Christ to be formed in them. Too many Christians have the name Christian, but there is no image of Christ formed on the inside of them yet. And that's where we need to get to. And then goes on into the persecution side. This one's real interesting. In verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law. They desire. It's, it, they, they want to be under the law. Paul taught them freedom from the law. Other people came along and says, no, let's get under the law. Yeah, let's get under the law. So they desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons. This is all part of the, what he's saying is the law. You want to go back to Abraham? You want to go back to the, to the law? You want to go back to Moses? All right, let's go, let's go and take a look at this. For it was written that Abraham had two sons. Now, he had more sons than that. But we're really only focused on two. Because there was the first son, which is the son of the flesh. And there's the second son, which is the son of the promise. For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. <laughs> They may not have thought in those terms, but uh, it was a, it was a, she was a servant. She was, a, she was bound to her master. And when, the, when the Sarah said, all right, you're going to go and have a baby with Abraham, she's bound. Whether she wanted to or not, she did. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, the other by the free woman. But he who was born of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh. Well, we knew that just from reading the story. We didn't need Paul to tell us that. We knew that from reading the story. They come on in together and they say, all right, we haven't had this baby yet. I don't know, maybe God will bring me a baby uh, if we use my handmaid. And we do that. And God, he's not in this, but he let him do it. God doesn't want this to go on, but he let him do it. And it's amazing how many things from this story transfer over to show us the, what's going on in the New Testament, even though God didn't want this to happen. He can still use it for, for showing us what happens. Because the same pattern always follows. The things of the flesh come against the things of the Spirit. That's, that's just a principle. Whatever is of the flesh will come against whatever is of the Spirit. Always. That's just the way that it is. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through the promise. Which things are symbolic? For these are the two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. So Hagar is representative of bondage, is representative of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where the law comes from. 
That's representing the, the bondage that they're trying to get back into. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her, with her children. So, born of a bondwoman, the son of Hagar is a slave. The son of, he's, he's relating this, it's the son of a bondwoman. When you are born of the flesh, when you're born of the, the bondwoman, you are a slave. You are bound. Look at the three things he brings in here. Egypt, Mount Sinai, and Jerusalem. What is interesting to note about this is we have three periods of history of Israel. The past, which was Egypt. The wanderings in the wilderness, which was Mount Sinai. And the future, which was Jerusalem, because Jerusalem is still around. Still, so in all three areas, are the past where they came from, the bondage in Egypt, the Mount Sinai time when they were wandering in the wilderness, and then when they came to the promised land, Jerusalem. But it's still the same Jerusalem that is there today. Egypt, Mount Sinai, and Jerusalem. The Jerusalem that Jesus walked in, the Jerusalem that Paul had walked in, this Jerusalem is a symbol of bondage. That's what Paul's saying, isn't it? Egypt, Mount Sinai, corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is. Those were things in the past. This now is. This is the present. This is the current thing that we're in. And is in bondage with her children. All of this brings us into bondage. If you desire to get under the law, you desire to be born of Hagar. What Jew wants to say that they are a child of Hagar? None of them. They all want to say we are Abraham's of Sarah. And there's a quite a bit of strife between the sons of Hagar and the sons of Sarah. Huge strife. Lots of strife in between those two. Because there's still lots of strife between flesh and spirit. That's where the, 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 the uh, conflict comes in. How many times did we see this when the two, the two sons were born into the house? How much conflict there was between the, the two sons or how one would excel and the other one would, would not. Esau, I hate it. Which one does he love? Yeah. Why? Because one would be of the flesh and one would be of the spirit. Didn't mean that one was better than the other, perfect, and the other one was, was a sinner. Didn't mean that at all. <laughs> we know that from their lives. Yeah, Jacob, was had, he had some trouble. He was not a very good... Uh, I did not have a very good godly walk. But he eventually got better. But God still called him that. We want to be born of the free woman. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. So he's saying this. You've got to get your eyes off of the things that are here down on this earth. Egypt, Mount Sinai, and Jerusalem. And get your eyes onto the new Jerusalem, which the Bible talks about. The new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. And come down to the earth. Not quite touch the earth, but come down to the earth. And this is where he will rule and, and reign from. The new Jerusalem will come down. Glory to God, it's going to be good. That's what we want to be of. The new Jerusalem. Not the one that's down here, not the natural Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. Well, that doesn't make sense, does it? But that's what God says. And again, he said to Abraham when he was desolate of children, look up at the stars. 
Look at the sand. Look at the, he gave them all these comparisons. Look at these things. If you can count them, you can count your kids. And he had a hard time getting his uh, head around that. But eventually he did. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. Isaac was a child of promise. Ishmael, child of the flesh. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So just in the same way that when Isaac was born, Ishmael persecuted him. He was a good bit older. He was in his teens when, when uh, Isaac was, was born. But he persecuted him. He picked on him, whatever it is that he did. Uh, but he was still in the house. He was still a son of Abraham. Which meant being a son of Abraham, you are a, an heir. And Sarah says, you know what? I don't want this son of a bondwoman to be heir with my son. It's your fault we got this problem. That's about what she says. It's your fault. And Abraham says, look, whatever God's, whatever God put in your heart, you go ahead and do it. And so she kicked out. Kicked out the, the, uh, the, the competitor wife and her kid. Kicked him out. Get out of here. We don't. And Abraham, it's still his son, had to watch him go off. And it's all, all type. This is all something that's, that God's using as an example. The son of the bondwoman persecuted the son of the free woman. In the same way, the things that are of the flesh persecute the things of the spirit. It's, he says it's the same thing now. We go over the same stuff now. Whatever is born of spirit is persecuted of flesh. That's why some religions are not persecuted the same way Christianity is. Because what is born of the spirit will be persecuted by the flesh. It's not that the flesh will persecute all things religious. It will, per- it will persecute all things spiritual. Not all religions are spiritual. Most of them are very flesh-oriented. Thank God we're in one that is not. Thank God we're in one that doesn't say you've got to do such and such in order to be, be good enough to get into the kingdom. We're one that says Jesus Christ was good enough, therefore you got in on his coattails. Just take his, his cloak he's given you. Just accept what he did. That's all you've got to do. But you go into these other religions, including the one that's uh, very much associated with uh, Ishmael. And what's it all about? What am I doing? What have I done? Have I done enough? I don't know. We'll find out when I get there. No. No, you won't. Again, verse 29. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now. So don't be surprised. When the things of the flesh persecute you, they will. It means you're on the right track. If you were not of the Spirit, they wouldn't persecute you. They'd accept you. Bring you on in. Hey. That's all right. That's why anymore, you know, any idea is okay except for the ones of the Bible. Any other idea is fine. Well, you can have that view. That's fine. You can have that view. But wait a minute. That, that comes from the Bible? No, you can't have that view. You can have a view that says the earth was created in a big bang. That's fine. That's an okay view to have. But to say that God created it by the, his word. Oh, we can't, we can't talk about that stuff here. Uh-uh. No, we don't, we don't do that sort of thing. Saw a, you may have seen this. I saw a story that was done of some school that banned the prayer before their games and such things like that. 
And so it was started by the cheerleaders. They, they, uh, they all got together. And they, uh, one of them just started saying the Lord's Prayer. And then some of the other cheerleaders, no microphone. They weren't allowed to do this. They had just had a period of silence. And during the period of silence, they started saying the Lord's Prayer. Well, pretty soon, it, it, you could hear it in the stadium that the cheerleaders were saying the Lord's Prayer. And it, some of the people in the audience began to do it. And then pretty soon it became a, a, a ritual before the game that they all, during the moment of silence, would say the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> it wasn't sanctioned by anyone. No one uh, said that they were going to do this. There was no microphone on it. They just all started saying it. And uh, glory to God. <laughs> I mean, there isn't any power saying in the Lord's Prayer, but, oh, man, that's, that's, just, that's just good. You, you cannot pull this stuff out. I mean, you're quoting Scripture. It's got to be a good thing right there. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? What does, how does the word of God say to handle this conflict between flesh and spirit? Simple. Cast out the bondswoman and her son. That's actually of God. <laughs> Cast her out. Get her out of the house. Get the bondwoman and her son out of the house. Remember she went out of the house? What the angel showed up at her? She's under the tree. She said, it's all lost. He says, don't worry. This needs to happen. But we'll take care of you too. We'll take care of you. And, uh, and God did. And as we can see today, there's plenty more kids that have come along on the line with that. But cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free. The son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So if you want to be born of Ishmael, which is to be under the law, you are not going to be heir... With the sons of God. And that's what he was talking about before. Sons and heirs. That just because you are a child in the house does not mean you have any more rights and privileges than a slave. And a servant. Nothing more. They don't differ. A child may have views on what to do with the household money. But it doesn't matter. Until he's, his time being under the guards, the guardians and the tutors. When he hits that, that time, which the father set... When he hits that time, he then gets put into the place of a son, which is then an heir. God wants us to be heirs. But if you go under the bondwoman, you will not be an heir. Which means all the things that are, we talk about in the inheritance, you have no access to. None. Because you chose to be born of the bondwoman because you put yourself under a law. Don't put yourself under a law. It won't, it won't do you any good. It will hurt you. This is what Paul is emphasizing with them. He's taking them all the way back in the Old Testament and showing them through stories that they already well know. And we certainly well know. All those things demonstrate the battle between flesh and spirit. We are going to have a battle between flesh and spirit. The things that are born of flesh are going to persecute the things that are born of spirit. They will do it. So as there was persecution from the son of the bondwoman, there is persecution from our flesh and the world. Your flesh will persecute you when you try and walk in the things of the Spirit. And so will the world. Now, as an heir, one of the things you're supposed to be doing, in the, according to the Word of God, is that you speak to situations. Isn't that what Jesus did? You know what Paul did? And Peter did? And John did? And... All these other ones, they spoke to situations. They spoke to it. Jesus comes up to the, the waves and says, Peace, be
be still. Jesus comes up to the dead people and says, rise. Be Jesus comes up to the demon-possessed people and says, cast out. Get out. Jesus comes up to the sickness and disease and say, fever, leave. Sickness, go. The centurion says, I'm two and one under authority. I say to this one, go, and it goes. And to this one, come, and he comes. You just speak your word. Jesus was amazed at this because he realized about this speaking truth. But if we begin to speak to our situations, if we have sickness going on and we begin to speak to it, sickness, you will leave my body now. What happens to your flesh on the inside? Flesh says, don't don't be saying that stuff out loud. People will hear you. People will think you're a nut. Don't be saying that. What if it doesn't leave? Then what are you going to do? So that's your persecution from your flesh. It'll come up. Then if you keep on going and you keep on fighting in this way, no, no, I'm speaking this way. Pain, you are going to go. You are going to leave. And then if the pain comes back, what's your flesh say? See? It didn't do nothing. Nothing changed. There's persecution that comes from your flesh. The flesh wants you to indulge it. The flesh wants you to harbor hate and unforgiveness. This is what the flesh wants. What's the spirit want to do? Man, let it go. <laughs> let it go. Don't worry about it. They want to be doing that sort of stuff. Let it go. Just go on. That's what the spirit wants to do. What's the flesh want to do? No, no, no. We need to take vengeance. We need revenge. They need to pay. You can't be doing that sort of stuff. So this persecution comes on. If we get past the persecution in our own flesh, well, then we have the persecution from the world. If we start saying these things out loud, what's the world do? Man, you are a fanatic. You are a nut. Don't like you. And then we begin to feel that persecution. We don't want to speak out the word of God to the, to the people around us. If we say what the word of God says, and they, we, I don't need to hear that. You shouldn't be telling me those kind of things. There's all kinds of ways to get to God. Why are you talking about this way as if it's the only way? And the world comes out and persecutes us. What are we going to do about it? Understand this from the Bible, from the Old Testament, from this passage here in Galatians. Flesh will persecute spirit. They will do it. Jesus, when he was talking to his disciples, he says that the word in us will draw persecution from the world because it doesn't understand you. It sees this light, doesn't understand this light. It's trying to persecute it. We'll try and put it out. We are in bondage to the law and sin if we are born of the flesh. But God wants us to be born of the spirit. In that passage, we saw that Sarah was told to rejoice. Let the barren rejoice. Rejoice. Well, if you start to rejoice for something you do not have, you're going to receive persecution from two fronts, right? Your own flesh is going to say, why are you doing that? You don't have it yet. Nothing's changed. Still the same way that it was before. You will receive persecution from your flesh. It will rise up and it will say these kind of things and try and get you to back down. If that doesn't happen, the world's persecution will rise up. How in the world are you rejoicing? There's nothing that's different. You don't have that car yet. You don't have that bill paid. You don't have that healing. You don't have that thing you've been believing for. How can you declare that you are a father of many nations when you don't even have a son? How can you do that? So persecution will come. We've got to know that if we stand up and do the things of the Spirit, persecution will come. It will come. Did it come to Jesus? Yes. Yeah, it sure did. Did it come to the disciples? Yep. They persecuted them. Did it come to Paul? Mm-hmm. No matter who it was, it came to them. Even after the book of Acts closed, 
we still had Christians that were going on proclaiming truth. And what happened to them? They were persecuted. Some were killed. Some were beat up. Whatever it might be, flesh will persecute spirit. They will do it. Just as Sarah was told to rejoice before she was even pregnant with a son. We're going to be born of the Spirit. We need to walk along this, this way. But as we said, to walk in such a way is to receive persecution from our flesh and the world. They will persecute you. But is it good to be on that side? What comes? What did Jesus say comes with the persecution? Prosperity will come. But he actually said it the other way around. He said prosperity will come to us, but with persecutions. Persecutions will come with it. That's all right. I'd rather take the blessings that God has with the persecutions from the world than the other way around. So here's the, the end part. Our offspring, the things that come from us, the, or the fruit, put in parentheses there, the fruit, our offspring or the fruit is determined by which woman we join with. That woman will be representative of the message, according to Paul here. What message are you going to join with? Are you going to join with the message that says the law is the way? Or are you going to join with the message that says the spirit is the way? Whichever one you decide to join with, whichever one you, which you follow after, that's the one that's going to determine what kind of fruit you got. If you decide to join with the bondwoman, you will produce children that are flesh kids, born of the flesh. And those flesh kids will persecute things of the spirit. Or you can have spirit kids, you know, fruit that comes from the spirit, whichever you want to, to follow after there. It's not in your outline here, but George MacDonald said this. He lived a long time ago, about 100 years a free will is not the liberty to do whatever one likes. A free will is not the liberty to do whatever one likes, but the power of doing whatever one sees ought to be done, even in the very face of otherwise overwhelming impulse. There lies freedom indeed. Let me say it one more time. A free will is not the liberty to do whatever one likes, but the power of doing whatever one sees ought to be done, even in the very face of otherwise overwhelming impulse. There lies freedom indeed. Are we in the place of freedom? Or are we in the place of bondage? Which way do we go? The way of the Spirit is a way of freedom, but it's also a way of a lot of persecution. You become targets. The way of the bondwoman, the way of the law, the way of the flesh is easier. There's no persecution. But it doesn't yield very much. No lasting thing. And you cease being an heir. In fact, the Word of God says, according to the pattern in the Old Testament, if you follow after the things of the bondwoman, the law, if you follow after that, you are kicked out of the house because you will not have any inheritance for the son of the promise. So which way do we go? You see why Paul got so upset with these folks? This is huge. This is the stuff that Paul sees, but this is huge. You guys are going in a direction where you are going to get kicked out of the house. It's not good. Stay in the house. 
Be an heir. Don't be born of the, of the flesh. That's why it's important that we grow up, that we grow spiritually. It's imperative that we grow spiritually. We've got to get to that place to being an heir, one who can be entrusted with the things that God has for us, one that can be entrusted with the things that God has and distributed here in this world to those who are in need of it. That's what he wants us to be, sons of promise, not sons of bondage. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us this image of what we can be, that we are called to be sons of the promise, but our decisions determine whether we are sons of promise or sons of bondage. What a great example we have in the Old Testament with Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael, Isaac. Oh, Father, help us to understand all that went on there. It is imperative that we not serve you through a law, but serve you through the Spirit. It's of such utmost importance. Father, as we serve you in the Spirit, we have the absolute assurance of what's on the other side and what blessings we have here. When we go under the bondage of the law, of the things of the flesh, weighs us down. It can cause us to even become like Pharisees who plot how to kill people on a Sabbath day after yelling at people for healing on a Sabbath day because they are subject to the flesh. They're born of the bondwoman instead of the free. They can't even see it. Father, we want to be able to see in our life that we are sons of the free and not sons of the bound. Thank you for the help you give us in this and opening up our eyes to see. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.